Ecclesiastes, the eighth chapter, we talked last week about living wisely in an absurd world. We're going to continue that today with continuing to live wisely <laughs> in an absurd world. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 beginning in verse 1, Who is as the wise man, and who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment, and that in regard of the oath of God. Be not hasty to go out of his sight, stand not in an evil thing, for he doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. Where the word of a king is, there is power. Who may say unto him, What doest thou? Whoso keepeth the commandment shall feel no evil thing, and a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. Because to every purpose there is a time and judgment, therefore the misery of man is great upon him, for he knoweth not that which shall be, for who can tell him when it shall be? The first thing Solomon talks about in verse 1 is godly wisdom. Now he's not talking about fleshly, worldly wisdom. He's talking about godly wisdom. And listen to what he says about godly wisdom. First of all, godly wisdom has the right view of life. Godly wisdom understands that all of these material things are temporary. They're not going to last. One day this building will not be here. One day we will not be here. They're not going to last. We understand that we are spiritual beings. And godly wisdom understands the proper relation of circumstances and things that happen in our lives. And it looks into human affairs and God's dispensation, because we're going to talk about this in just a moment when we talk about kings, God's dispensation when it comes to nations and it comes to individuals. Right now we're living in a world that is looking at war going on over in Ukraine. And so we don't know what to make of it. I had someone call me this week and ask me what I thought about it. And I told them, well, the Bible says there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Folks, it's just another sign that we're coming near the end. But then he says, godly wisdom makes a man's face to shine. I like that. Godly wisdom makes a man's face to shine. It makes him to be regarded and taken notice of. It gains him respect. There's a lot of people looking for attention, maybe even some respect in the world. But you really want to be respected in this world. Now, I'm not going to say everybody will agree with you if you operate by godly wisdom. But I tell you what, they'll have to respect you. Because you operate by the wisdom of God. And godly wisdom beautifies a person in the face of their friends. You know, people who are really your friends, when they see you operating in godly wisdom, are just going to like you and, and be that much friendlier. And then he says this, his countenance, if it is severe. Now, you know what that means. There's some folks, I think they call it today, what is it? Resting angry face or whatever. But some folks whose faces, just even though they're not angry, they look sort of severe when you look at them. But he says, godly wisdom will do this. If a man's countenance is severe, his countenance will be changed into that which is sweet and obliging. I love that. Godly wisdom has an effect on people. And then it says also this, it will add to his courage in maintaining his integrity. If we will just operate 
by godly wisdom in our lives. It's not only going to cause us to be honest, but it's going to cause us to be forthright. And by his wisdom, a man will know how to manage his life by godly wisdom. And so Solomon just has a lot to say about wisdom. He finished the seventh chapter talking about wisdom. And he starts the eighth chapter talking about wisdom. And we understand these chapter headings and divisions were not there. So he's continuing this thought about wisdom. And now he's going to apply it in this way. How do I operate wisely when it comes to dealing with the king? How do I operate wisely when it comes to dealing with authority, we might say? And so we're going to talk about wisdom, godly wisdom, and obeying the law. Godly wisdom and obeying the government. Now, before we get into what Solomon has to say, there's something I want to deal with because a question was asked a few weeks ago in Sunday school as we were studying from Romans chapter 13, and that's the chapter in the New Testament which talks about being good citizens and obeying the law and so forth. The question was asked about our founding fathers of this country and the American Revolution. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But if you look over to Romans chapter 13 for a second, Romans chapter 13 and the first couple of verses. The scripture says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. In other words, when you go against the law, the scripture says you're going to suffer the judgment. You're going to suffer the punishment. And there are other verses of scripture that teach us to pray for those who are in authority. Pray for the king and all in authority. First Timothy chapter 2, the first couple of verses. Also in the book of First Peter, we are taught to respect the authorities. So the question was asked, and I think I have it close to the way it was asked. And let me just insert this. I really didn't have an answer at that time. And I hate for somebody to ask me a question I can't answer. I'll say I don't know, but I'm going to study it after I'm asked the question. And so I did that. And then we just happened to come along to this in chapter 8 here in the book of Ecclesiastes. But about the founding fathers and the American Revolution, did they or did they not violate the verses in Romans chapter 13, 1 through 7, that teach respect for the authorities and respect for the government? I said, I've been asked that question a few times. And I cannot, obviously, because I'm not God, accurately judge the hearts of these men who fought for liberty in this country. But I have examined the issue and I found out some things since then. First of all, the Romans passage starts out with a very clear command to obey governing authorities. It's very broad. It's aimed at everyone who knows Christ as Savior. Now you think about it, Nero was on the throne when Paul wrote that. I can't think of a worse ruler than Nero, but he was sitting on the throne when Paul wrote that, and God led him to write that. But it does not say that God approves of everything that leaders do. God just tells us that we have a responsibility toward those who are in authority. Now, in our day, I don't think God approves because our nation allows it, our laws allow it. I don't think God approves of murdering unborn babies. Amen. I don't think God approves abortion. I'm, I'm not, it's not just I think. I know God doesn't. Okay, God does not approve of perversion in all of its forms that we see today. And yet we have a responsibility as believers to support and to obey the law. 
We're going to look at some exceptions to that in just a few moments, so I ask you just to stay tuned to the rest of this message. But those who supported the American Revolution were deeply religious men. Some say, oh, they were deists. Some say they were Christians. I understand that George Washington was saved at one point. And so these were deeply religious men who felt that they were biblically justified by rebelling against England. They saw themselves not as anti-government, but as anti-tyranny. And certainly we don't believe in tyranny. They believed that Romans 13 taught respect for the institution of government, not necessarily for the individuals of government. And they believed that their actions against a specific oppressive regime were not a violation of Romans chapter 13 verses 1 through 7. They believed that the king of England had acted so wickedly in many of the things that he had done that he was in violation of the word of God and that he was no longer God's servant. And they did not feel a responsibility to obey him. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 13 says this, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. And they saw that phrase for the Lord's sake as talking about obedience to God. Submit yourself in obedience to God. And so if the authority passed something that was unrighteous, if the authority itself was unrighteous, they realized that following those things that the authority said, the unrighteous things the authority said to do, that they could not be righteous in uh, following an unrighteous law. And so they felt that they could not obey everything that the king said for the Lord's sake. They saw the war as a defensive war, not an offensive war. 1775 and 1776, they presented the king with formal appeals for reconciliation. And you know how these appeals were met? With armed military intervention upon unarmed citizens. You remember the Boston Massacre. And this was response to the request of the colonists in these appeals to the king. In Lexington, the command to the colonial troops was this. Do not fire unless fired upon first. And so they did everything they did to avoid war, but they saw themselves as defending themselves since the conflict had been initiated by the British. And that was their basis. And I believe, and there's a reason you have a copy of the Declaration of Independence. Are you going to read all of it, Brother Jim? I don't know. But there's a reason you have a copy of the Declaration of Independence in your bulletin. Because to prove their case, they presented to a candid world after declaring their independence 27 acts of tyranny by the king that had been carried out on the colonists. But listen to this, and I may read so far, and I may read all of it. In Congress, July 4th, 1776, the unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. So they said, we're going to tell you why we want independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, 
that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. And accordingly, all experience hath shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations, pursuing invariably the same object, evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present king of Great Britain is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having in direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these states. To provide this, let facts be submitted to a candid world. And they submitted 27 acts that had taken place of tyranny against these United States. Now, what do you believe out of all of this, Brother Jim? I believe that the American patriots who fought against the British forces were fully convinced that they had a biblical basis and that they had scriptural justification for what they did. Whether their interpretation of scripture was right or whether it was wrong, we, we can't say. We hesitate to say. But they acted in good faith. And they acted in the name of religious freedom. And God has brought about much good out of the act that took place. Amen. That's my answer to the question. And so I'm glad to answer that question. So now, how does that apply to what Solomon's talking about? Solomon's talking about loyalty to the government. Solomon's talking about obeying the king. Well, first of all, I want you to see under the heading of government and God's sovereignty, what I call the rule. The first thing that Solomon says is keep the king's commandment. Now you understand he said that in a day when the king had absolute authority. If you disobeyed the king, you could get six inches shorter at the shoulders, okay? Or they could take your life in some other way. The king had absolute authority. Now Solomon had identified himself in this book of Ecclesiastes as the preacher. That's an interesting word because that word is actually koeleth in the Hebrew. And that word koeleth actually means this. It talks about one who has gathered a group of people together to speak to them or to make a decree. Now you remember Solomon's writing this book of Ecclesiastes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he, as the preacher, has called people together to make a decree. So he's not just speaking as the king when he says follow the king's commandment. He's speaking as God's servant. He's speaking as the preacher. He's speaking as God's messenger when he says, in effect, obey the law. Now, almost as if to make it completely clear to us in this church age, because we could go back and we could read, well, that was the day that Solomon was king, and we can make all kinds of excuses what Solomon says. So to make it abundantly clear to us in this church age, God gave us Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. 
And again, those verses tell us that we need to obey the law. Let every soul be subject to the higher powers. And then it says, wherefore you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but for conscience sake. And Paul tells us why. Here's the reason. There was the rule, here's the reason. Paul tells us why we need to be obedient to the law and to the authority. And he says this, for there is no power but of God. And he says, the powers that be are ordained of God. Now, we understand what that means. God doesn't elect a president, but God allows a president to be elected, okay? God doesn't set a king, but God allows a king to rule. The powers that exist are allowed of God. And then it says, whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. That word ordinance talks about the arrangement, the institution. And so when we turn against the power, we say, I'm not going to obey the law. I don't like that law. You know, there are laws I don't like. You know that? Some of them are speed limits. Well, what if we just, everybody just say, well, I don't like that law, that speed limit, so I'm going to drive like I want to drive. We'd have mass confusion and we'd have a lot of accidents out on the highways. I don't like that stop sign. I don't want to stop. I'll just go on, you know, and cause an accident. Laws are there for our protection, and God has instituted the power or the authority that set that law. Now, let me ask you how Solomon reigned. From How did Solomon become king? Well, well, he was the son of David. When David died, Solomon just automatically became king. Listen to Psalm 132, verses 11 and 12. The Lord has sworn in truth unto David, he will not turn from it. Of the fruit of thy body will I set upon thy throne. What did God say to David? Your descendants are going to rule over Israel. Your descendants are going to sit on the throne. Solomon is sitting there as king, not just because he was David's son, but because God had said, David's children, David's descendants are going to rule in Israel. So God made a sure oath to David, and God always keeps his promises. And so when he made this promise, then Solomon became king. David's descendants would rule permanently. And there's one descendant that is coming that is going to rule and he's going to rule upon this earth for a thousand years and we know that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so God has said this. God said this. So Solomon's ruling by godly authority and he says, and that in regard of the oath of God. Now, we're not real sure what that means, but there's three thoughts concerning that little phrase and that in regard to the oath of God. Number one is the oath of the people to follow the king. If you'll just look back into the book of First Chronicles for just a moment. First Chronicles chapter 29. First Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 24. Look at what it said. Look at what the people said. And all the princes and the mighty men and all the sons likewise of King David submitted themselves unto Solomon the king. They said, we're going to follow you. And we take an oath that we're going to follow you. You're the king, and we're going to follow your leadership. Now, a parallel thought of that today might be, we stand and we look at the flag, and we put our hands over our hearts, and we say, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And we pledge allegiance to our nation. That's something similar to what those did in Solomon's day. Well, then there's also the oath of God to David, which we just mentioned. 
the third thing is the oath the king made before God to rule in a godly manner. Because what did Solomon ask God for? He asked God for the wisdom to be able to properly rule his people. And so somewhere in there, this oath to God is included in all of that. And Solomon clearly corrects, Solomon clearly connects the earthly rule of kings to a relationship with God. As he's writing as the preacher, as he's writing as the messenger of God, and he says, obey the king's commands. Does God have any hand? We've already mentioned it, but does God have any hand in setting up kings and bringing down kings? Daniel chapter 2 verse 21 says, He removeth kings and setteth up kings. So all authority is allowed by God. He allows men to reign. He allows men to rule. Now remember, that does not mean that God approves of everything that a ruler does. I believe we have had presidents, we have had congressmen, we have had people in office who made some decisions contrary to the word of God. God didn't approve of that. God didn't lead them to do that, but God had allowed them to have their position. We may have a problem reconciling that in our day, you know. We may have a problem saying, well, how can God allow an ungodly ruler to make an ungodly ruling? Well, just remember all of the history of this world is leading up to one event, and that is the coming of Jesus Christ. Amen. And I believe people who are in positions of authority today are there because God allowed them to be there. And not only are they there because God allowed them to be there, but in some way they're going to just, again, pave that road to the coming of the Lord Jesus. Now, let me add quickly that even though Paul's talking about governmental authorities. There are other authorities that God has ordained. God has ordained authority in the home, hasn't he? Amen. There is an authority. And children today, I saw this thing the other day. It was a memory of mine on Facebook, and I shared it again. I said, there's as much authority in the home today as there ever was. It's just that today the children have it, you know. <laughs> Mom and dad ask the children what they want. No, mom and dads are the authority. Amen. And children need to learn that. And if a child will not learn respect for authority in the home, that child will not have respect for authority at school. That child will not have respect for authority out on the streets. The education, the learning of to respect authority begins in the home and God knows that and God designed it that way. I think there's authority in the church and of course Jesus is the head of this church. And so we ought to listen to his authority. There's authority in the workplace, isn't there? I mean, even if you're the boss, if you're the business owner, you're still under certain authority because there are rules and laws and the IRS and all of that to contend with. And so there is authority. So consequently, and this is the rebellion, rebellion against the authority is rebellion against what God has allowed. When we say, I don't want to obey the law. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. Then we're rebelling against God. Now, we're going to talk about some exceptions in just a moment, but we've got to get to those. And generally speaking, the way that we respond to earthly authority says a lot about our opinion toward the sovereignty of God, that God rules. The king said, Solomon said, the preacher said, all the way back here in verse 3, he said, stand not in an evil thing. He said, where the word of a king is, there is power, there's authority, and who may say unto him, what doest thou? And so we have that responsibility. A wise individual recognizes that God has ordained authority upon this earth and therefore 
we talk about government and our obligation. Government and our obligation. Our primary obligation with regard to government, with regard to laws, is to obey. Just obey. Keep the king's commandment. Romans 13, 5, wherefore ye must needs be subject. And so we must obey the law. Then Solomon gives us reasons why disobedience is required. Verse 4, again he says, where the word of king is, there's power. The king's power. I said a moment ago, in that day the king had absolute power, absolute authority. You don't obey me, fine. Off with your head. You don't obey me, we will put you to death some other way. You will obey the king. And then he says to avoid an evil thing. Evil thing talks about avoid being punished. That's why you obeyed the law back then. And that's why we need to obey the law today. Paul said essentially the same thing in Romans chapter 13. Whosoever resisteth therefore the power shall receive to themselves damnation. Again, judgment. It talks about punishment. I made up a little bumper sticker. I hadn't had the nerve to put it on my car yet. I wish I'd have thought of it when I was in law enforcement. And I'd have put it on the back of that car. And it says this. I didn't make it. I didn't break it. I just enforced it. And that's the way it is with the law. Don't get mad at the police officer if you break the law for writing you a ticket. Okay? He didn't make the law, and he didn't break the law. He's just out there doing his job, enforcing the law. I didn't make it. I didn't break it. I just enforce it. Paul said in verse 5 there in Romans 13, we're to be subject to authority. We are to obey the law as children of God for the sake of wrath, first of all, punishment. You know, there's a reason sometimes I obeyed mama and daddy. Not because I wanted to. Because I knew what would happen if I didn't. Okay? <laughs> and so I didn't want to be punished and so I obeyed. And the same, you know why I stop at stop signs? Now I don't do rolling stops, alright? Because those are illegal too. But you know why I stop at stop signs? You know why I drive the speed limit? It's not because I'm such a model citizen, folks. I ought to be, Right? But I don't want to get one of those little slips of paper that says you owe the city or you owe, you know, the county or whatever this much money. And I certainly don't want to have to call my brother to come bail me out. Right? There are reasons that we obey the law. We don't want to be punished. He says for wrath's sake. But then he says also for conscience sake. What's he talking about with, for conscience sake? He's talking about with an eye toward God. I'm a child of God, and you're a child of God. And folks, we ought to be examples to other people of what a real Christian really is. We ought to be the examples to people of how to get along in this, with this kind of government, in this kind of world, to live according to the law. That's what he's talking about, our Christian testimony. And if we, whether it's traffic laws or tax laws, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, or whatever it may be, if we are, do things that are illegal, if we violate the law, that not only could endanger us as far as punishment is concerned, but it can destroy a Christian testimony. Amen. How would you like for your pastor, oh boy, we just filed, I hope this doesn't happen. How would you like for your pastor to be called a tax cheat or something like that? Well, I wouldn't look very good for you, preacher. Amen. And so we pay our taxes. I don't want to pay more than I owe, but I certainly don't want to cheat the government because that's what we're supposed to do. 
So not just for wrath, but for conscience sake. In the Bible, I can find only two exceptions to this instruction to obey the law. And uh, right now in our country, there's very few opportunities for us to face these two exceptions, okay? Number one, when the government requires me to do something that's prohibited by the scriptures. If the government requires us to do something that's prohibited by the word of God. Well, give me an example of that preacher, okay? Moses' parents. What did Pharaoh say? All the boy babies are supposed to, what's supposed to happen to them? Dumped in the Nile River, feed them to the crocodiles. You know, get rid of all the boy babies. Did Moses' parents do that? No. In fact, his mother put him in a little basket, a little ark, and put him out in the river, and Pharaoh's daughter found him, and he was raised as an Egyptian, even though he was a Hebrew, and he led the nation of Israel in a great way. They would have been committing murder if they had obeyed Pharaoh. And the Bible says, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not kill. Daniel and his friends. Daniel and his friends were ordered to eat the food that the king supplied. They were in Babylon. And some of the things that they were ordered to eat violated the word of God for them. And so they just requested in a very nice way that they not eat it, but they didn't want to violate those provisions of the law. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told to do what? Bow down to the statue that Nebuchadnezzar has made. Well, what does that violate? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not worship idols. They said, we can't do that. And they didn't do it. They disobeyed. So if the government tells us to do something that violates the word of God, we have to make a decision. Am I going to listen to the government or am I going to listen to God? I said very few examples of that happening or chances of that happening in our nation right now. But that's the first exception. And the second one is this. When the government prohibits me from doing something required by the scriptures. When the government says you can't do this. Well, give me an example. Okay, Daniel. King Darius signed an order. You're not supposed to pray to anybody but to me for the next 30 days or whatever it was. And what did Daniel do? As was his habit, he went into his private chamber and he bowed and he prayed to God. And Daniel got arrested for it. He got in trouble for it just for praying to God. Now listen, I know we're not supposed to have prayer according to the Supreme Court in public schools. Listen kids, they can't keep you from praying in school. Amen. Now I know we're taught and we ought to pray. When we pray, have our eyes closed. But if you have to pray with your eyes open, that's okay because the Bible says pray and watch. All right? <laughs> but you can pray. And nobody can stop you from turning your heart. You may not be able to pray out loud. You may not be able to voice your prayer where others can hear it. But you can pray. Amen. And as somebody said, as long as there are math tests, there will be prayer in school. <laughs> but if the government said you can't pray, what if they said you cannot meet in this capacity any longer? Some of our sister churches in various places, some out in California, some up in Illinois, were prohibited from meeting together. And some went ahead and met and they suffered the consequences for it. But the word of God commands us to assemble together. And so we have to make a decision. Am I going to obey God or am I going to obey man? Peter and John. Peter and John were told not to preach the gospel, not to preach Jesus Christ anymore. And what did they do? Well, they went out and preached Jesus again and they got arrested again. And this time when they got arrested again, what did they tell those who had arrested them? 
Here's what they said in Acts chapter 5, verse 29. We ought to obey God rather than men. There comes a time when as children of God, we have to make a decision. Am I going to obey man or am I going to obey God? And we need to choose to obey God rather than man. Now, if you find yourself in that situation and you take that kind of a stand, I'm going to obey God rather than obey man, you need to be willing and you need to be ready to suffer the consequences what happened to Daniel for his disobedience? Cast in to the lion's den. What happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Cast in to the burning, fiery furnace. When you take your stand on the word of God. It's not always going to be rosy and everything wonderful and work out for us just the way we think it ought to. Sometimes we may have to suffer for standing for God's word and to stand up to those who would tell us to disobey God's word. Peter and John continued to suffer persecution because of their stand and their preaching the word of God. So what are we going to do? There is government and the sovereignty of God. There is government and our obligation. And now we come down to this, government and our lives. Government and our lives. And here's what we need to understand. And I think a lot of folks don't get this today. Our lives do not depend upon government. Our lives don't depend upon government. Verse 8, and we're just going to deal with this for a second and we'll get back to it, Lord willing, next week. There is no man that hath the power over the spirit to retain the spirit, neither hath he the power in the day of death. The government cannot keep you alive. Amen. Now it may be able to kill you if you violate certain laws, but the government cannot keep you alive. I think a lot of folks depend on the government to stay alive and depend on the government to give them life. It cannot give life. It cannot keep you alive. And no one, not even government, has control over life and death. God has control over life and death. Listen to verse 6. Because to every purpose there is time and judgment, therefore the misery of man is great upon him. There's a time. There's going to be a time God calls me home. There's going to be a time God calls you home. It may be at the hands of government. It may be at the hands of an individual. It may just be old age. But there's coming a time that God is going to call us home. Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. Can government keep me alive? No, government cannot keep me alive. And in recent years, especially with the invention of COVID, and you understand how I said that, government has seemed to feel the need to force citizens into healthier lifestyles and longer lives. You got to live this way. You got to do, you got to get rid of this. Some places they had a tax surcharge on junk food and sodas. I'm glad I don't live there because I love junk food and sodas. In fact, I thought about opening a restaurant that served nothing but junk food and sodas. I'm going to call it anytime fatness. You have to think about that one. They'll give you guidelines on nutrition. Here's what you ought to eat. Here's what you should. Here's how much of this you should eat. Here's what you need. Remember the few years ago, the new regulations on school lunch programs and government just controlling, controlling lives. But they still can't keep you alive. Maybe some of the information, maybe some of the instruction was good. Maybe some of it wasn't, but nobody can keep you alive. And I don't know if it's a paradox, an oxymoron, or an enigma, or what it is, but over the years, 
government's been encouraging people to eat right and to exercise so they can live longer. And then they say we're running out of money in Social Security to take care of you when you get older. I don't get that either. But again, government in our lives. The reality of it is found in verse 7. For he knoweth not that which shall be, for who can tell him when it shall be. You don't know and I don't know and government doesn't know what tomorrow holds. We're going to find out when we get there. God knows, but we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know when it's going to happen. We don't know where it's going to happen, but things are going to happen. No one is certain what is to be and who is able to say to him when it will be. That's what he's saying. Now in conclusion, as those who have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, we know God is supreme. God is sovereign. God is supreme. We depend upon him for our lives and not upon man, not upon government. We depend upon God to take care of us. We are to love him. We are to serve him. We are to obey him. We are to be faithful to him on a daily basis, not just on Sunday. And so nothing should ever take first place in our lives above God. Now, as a part of our obedience to God and faithfulness to God, we need to be good citizens. We need to love our government. We need to pray for our government. Listen, folks, I've been privileged to travel halfway around the world and back. And on one of those trips, I was looking sort of down and a man asked me, what's wrong? And I said, I'm just tired. Now, we're seeing it today in America, but we didn't back then. I said, I'm just tired of going into airports and seeing men with machine guns. It got to me. He said, well, they're there in America. You just don't see them. Well, may have been. But folks, if I had to choose, I'd choose to live here. And if I had to pick a number two place to live, I'd live in Israel. <laughs> okay. But there's no other place I want to live. God has given us certain liberties in this nation. And we are blessed. We can meet like this without fear of somebody busting through those doors and arresting all of us and taking us off to jail. That doesn't happen everywhere. You know what religious freedom is in Russia? If you belong to the state church and you're a witness of the state church, you can witness anywhere. But if you don't belong to the state church, which I assume is the Roman Orthodox, I don't know. If you don't belong to the state church, you don't take your witness outside of the building. That's religious freedom. We have the liberty here to walk up to a stranger on the street and say, do you know Jesus Christ as Savior? We don't do it, but we have that liberty and nobody's going to arrest us. Might get punched in the nose if you tell somebody they're a sinner, but you know, then they've assaulted you. But we have that liberty, folks. My opinion, I think we've got one of, the, with all of its flaws, I think we've got one of the best forms of government that has ever been held by mankind. So we ought to be good citizens. We ought to obey the laws. Even the traffic laws, you know, stop at a stop sign, drive the speed, do all those things you're supposed to do. Pay your taxes. And I know this time of year, that's not popular to hear, is it? Amen. We just ought to pay our taxes. And then pray. The scripture teaches us this. Pray for our leaders and do this. Pray for God's mercy on this nation. Amen. Listen, folks, we're not an obedient nation. We're not an obedient people. We're not doing everything God wants us to do and we're doing a lot of things God doesn't want us to do and we need God's people praying for mercy on God bless America today. And if we'll do that, 
it will help us to do as Paul talked about in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, and that is to lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. And that's all we want. We just want to live our lives to worship God according to His Word, have the liberty to witness to others, not try to force anybody to accept Christ, but to be able to lead any who want to accept Christ to Him. And then it will give us a good testimony as children of God. And what it will also do is it will give weight to our witness of Jesus Christ. Folks, that's what we need. We need some weight to our witness of Jesus today. You know, it'd be hard about the time you're being arrested for theft to try to witness to the police officer as he's putting the handcuffs on you. <laughs> Um, you don't know about the Lord and he might say well what's he you know how are you following him I'll just tell you honestly I bleed red white and blue Amen. I love America it's not perfect and you know why it's not perfect it's run by people Amen. many of those people are politicians it's run by people and people are sinners and sinners don't always do everything the way God would have them to do. But I haven't seen any form of government or any place I would rather live than right here. Amen. Thank God for your nation. Obey the laws as you can. Again, if there are laws passed that say you can't meet or you must do this, we have to make a decision and be ready again to suffer the consequences if we do that. But love your nation. And most of all, pray. And I mean pray daily. For God, you know, we've, we've prayed for a long time, God bless America. I don't believe we're in a position where he can bless us right now. So we need to pray, to pray God be merciful to America. And give us leaders that want to turn back to you.